Hi, this is Ed Fitzpatrick. If you enjoy local politics as much as I do, be sure to join our friends at Rhode Island PBS for the show A Lively Experiment. Hosted by Jim Hummel, the weekly series features journalists, pundits, and politicians debating the stories and issues that matter most to us Rhode Islanders. Tune in to A Lively Experiment and be part of the conversation. Fridays at 7 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS and wherever you get your podcasts. From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. We've got something completely different for you today, a scandalous bit of Rhode Island history. More than 100 years ago, the U.S. Navy launched an entrapment operation to root out gay sailors and civilians in Newport. The Navy actually commissioned about a dozen undercover sailors to have sex with members of the gay community. The so-called Newport Naval Sex Scandal of 1919 eventually led to a congressional investigation and almost took down FDR's dreams of running for president. My colleague Alexa Gigas talks with the co-organizer of a multimedia installation that puts a spotlight on this bizarre and troubling episode. That's after a quick break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Rhode Island PBS Weekly is an award-winning news magazine broadcast that gives you the full story, powered by investigative journalism and narrative storytelling. New episodes of Rhode Island PBS Weekly drop Sundays at 7.30 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS. Watch past episodes at ripbs.org slash weekly. That's ripbs.org slash weekly. Welcome back. I'm Alexa Gagas, and I'm here with Jason Tranquita, the co-publisher of Headmaster Magazine. He's also the creator of Scandalous Conduct, a multimedia piece that investigates this little-known piece of Newport's history. Welcome to the show, Jason. Hi, Alexa. How's it going? Great to be here. So let's start with the basics of this story. It's 1919, after World War I and near the end of the pandemic. Why was the Navy trying to entrap Newport men who had sex with other men? That's a great question. So about 25,000 men, sailors, return to Newport basically at the same time after the war. So basically, basically it's kind of almost doubling the population of Newport at the time. So it, it had quite an impact. The naval base like, didn't even have enough beds for um, all of the sailors that came back. And then a a sort of lively gay culture started to emerge around Washington Square, like around the YMCA and different public spaces there. Uh, You know, there was a lot of vaudeville theaters at the time, movie theaters. um, And uh, so um, and basically a lot of a lot of guys with a lot of time on their hands um, after after the war and basically not having not having any missions at the time or whatever. Um, But. There was a sort of not so high up the chain machinist mate that had gotten word of this gay activity going on, was appalled and took it upon himself to sort of start this sting to entrap sailors. 
<laughs> his tactic, however, was to enlist actual s- sailors, and I say it in quotes, good-looking sailors. Um, he got, got a crew together, basically, to start infiltrating this gay subculture with a, the goal of entrapping them in some sort of illicit, you know, in their words, illicit activity. So basically, it wasn't a top-down Navy decision to start this thing. It sort of started with an individual and then sort of percolated up the chain of command. And at the time, FDR, who would eventually become president, was the undersecretary of the Navy. How much did he know? Do we know that yet? We, well, he, he definitely knew. The operation was presented to him, and he sort of gave it the, the green light. Whether or not he knew of the actual tactics and the sort of structure of how the sting was happening is unclear, but, um, you know, he, he knew he knew on, on certain levels what was going on. Right. And so members of the Navy were entrapping Newport men, other sailors. Can you talk to me about those tactics? What have you uncovered so far? So basically, Arnold had enlisted a group of sailors um, who were willing to take on this, you know, in quotes, very special mission. They did it in kind of a few different ways, actually. I mean, but because basically the MO of this operation is, is the way that you entrap someone is you have to catch them in the act. So basically they had to have sexual activity with these men in order to prove that they were gay and engaging in, in sexual misconduct, as they called it. A really, you know, warp tactic. So they approached it in a few different ways. Um, you know, some were one-night stands. Some were, like, really long, drawn-out relationships that they sort of developed with the uh, the people they were trying to trap. You know, there were a lot of dates going on. There was a lot of planning. It, you know, it was interesting. Um, and, and the reason we know a lot of this is... Um, they would have to report to sort of a secret off-naval site basement with a bunch of typewriters and write up these daily reports. And they would basically write in this very, <laughs> very strange, formal, yet very graphic way of what they encountered the evening before. So you actually made recordings of some of those reports uh, for your project. Let's listen to one of them. I went to the YMCA about 7.50 p.m., and Duke came around and told me to be in the music room before 8.15. At 8.10, I saw Duke, and he went down and sat at the piano. He played for a while, then said he liked me and would do anything in the world to make me happy. He said that he liked me, but I would have to be true to him, and to give all myself only to him, and not to go out with anyone else. He said he wanted me to stay all night with him by next Monday. I asked him where we would go, and he said it was all arranged, not to worry. So after listening to a ton of these recordings, uh, many are very graphic, and this is probably the most tame (laughs) of them all. (laughs) Right. But it's also not what I expected. It's almost romantic. Um, The fact that he can only be with me, it it almost reminds me of what I used to read in Teen Vogue under the covers of the flashlight. It's not this whole, (laughs) oh, these are immoral acts. This is romantic. Right. Right. No, no, you've really nailed it. And um, that was just a really interesting um, clip that you chose as well, because it, it really sort of got at the relationships that they, they sort of like were fostering with each other. And they're getting pulled into this this 
scheme, but I, you know, they're having actual sincere, in my opinion, relationships with these other men. Um, my partner on this project, Matthew Lawrence, and I started reading the reports to each other um, because I, I sort of needed to hear them out loud. And um, also they were really hard to read, so it was really hurting our eyes, so we had to take turns. <laughs> and so, you know, that's sort of when we were like, we need to hear young men between 18 and 23 read these crazy reports um, and just sort of hear the voice. So they, they really became to life, came to life. I think it was a spark that projecting us towards our, like what the final project's going to be for sure is sort of like bringing these characters to life through these really sort of strange um, reports. Right. You know, and also it's not just the relationships that surprised me, but it also seemed like the scene in Newport a hundred years ago is not what I expected. It right. it talked about drag shows. It talked about the you know army and navy YMCA where the gay community could hang out. It's just not as repressive as I expected. Or was it kind of just hiding in plain sight? I I think our opinion is it was a sort of hiding in plain sight. I think that was exactly it. I mean, it, it sounded like a blast, actually. And, um, you know, it, it's a really it's a really sad and depressing story. And it's sort of like the outcome of it or whatever. But it, it was really I think that's what surprised us as well of just sort of um, like you said, it was it was hiding in plain sight. I think people knew this was going on. I think a majority of people were probably completely fine with it. We're sort of at the end of the Gilded Age here, but things are starting to get weird. It's the beginning of Prohibition. Um, right before the war ended, there was a sweep of all the brothels. So it's just like a really, really strange and inter interesting time. And you just sort of also realize like, wow, Newport is really an island. And Still uh, to this day. <laughs> still to, yeah, still, exactly. Still to this day, for sure. <laughs> So what happened after the end of the operation? These men, were they arrested? What happened to them? Yeah, so from start to finish of the, the first entrapment scheme, I think that was just about a month or so. And then there was a roundup, basically, over a, a course of a few days. And if I'm sure you listen to the rest of the recordings, it gets kind of really tragic. And there's people talking about suicide and, like, hiding all their, like, you know, their drag paraphernalia and because they're going to get busted and they're hearing about other people getting rounded up. And, and this is all Navy men get rounded up and basically chucked on a decommissioned ship in Newport Harbor. They're kind of put there without really, it seemed, from the research we did, it seems like without a real solid game plan. There was, there was no due process hap happening or anything resembling it. And I kind of feel like they were just kind of like, okay, we did this, now what? Mm, so um, no court proceedings, no trials, nothing like that? Nothing in the immediate, no. So, but, you know, then you have these young men who, you know, sooner or later their parents are going to start looking for them. Um, and they're from all over the country, right? So there was some parents that kept writing the Navy and trying to contact the Navy, and they were sort of denying what was going on and um, really not giving them much information. There was one family that then started, started a letter-writing campaign to a senator, a Rhode Island senator, who was able to sort of get to the bottom of what was going on. So from there, then actually some trials started. One of the operators is the first person to be on the stand and, like, within a matter of minutes has completely 
blown the lid off of this crazy entrapment scheme and it's like dubious tactics. Right. You know, as a reporter, if this happened today, it would be all over the Boston Globe. Yeah. But, but was <laughs> <hope> any, so. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> was any journalist uncovering it at the time? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as we sort of started our research, the more this crazy story just unfolded and weirder and weirder characters and events started to sort of come to light. So one of them actually is John R. Ratham, who was the editor of the Providence Journal at the time. So he gets wind of the story and he is at all the court proceedings and he's the one that pretty much turns it into a national scandal. He had worked for the AP, so is really tapped in and had a lot of connections in the AP. So that's why he was able to sort of really turn it into something that might have stayed pretty local into something that was like really a national sensation. What did the coverage look like in the Providence Journal at the time on this scandal? Was this A1 articles? Was there a lot of coverage on it? Or was it one big investigation and then it went away after a little while? Yeah, the, no, the, the the coverage in the Projo was, it was quite a lot, actually. He was at the trials every day, so every day there was something about it. Um, and... You know, it was pretty sensational. I, I don't think it was always on the front page, but I think it was it was there for a while, especially during that summer and into the fall. Why haven't we heard of this story before? That's a good question. That's a really good question. I mean, that's that's kind of what pulled us into the story. I, I've lived in Rhode Island for yeah since 1999. My partner Matthew, he he was born and raised here. We stumbled across this story, and. Nobody knew about it. We have friends who are like queer scholars, historians, all around like <laughs> Rhode Island history geeks. And, and so many people, it, it, nobody knew this story, right? I have some ideas of like why it, it just sort of went away. But all in all, we're, we're really not sure. This was a hundred years ago. Why do you think this piece of history is just so important to tell right now? There's a few reasons. Uh, um, you know, it, it's like all histories that have been sort of edited out of the sort of historical canon. Uh, these stories need to be told. I think they explain a lot. You know, at a sort of base level, I think they need to be told all the time. The story is interesting because it contextualizes the story of gays in the military in the United States. And that's something that's really important and interesting to me. This is almost like sort of the the beginning of that story and and it continues till today and then in terms of like stings and trampling on gay and trans rights like you know just days ago south dakota passed a ban on you know women and girls who are trans from competing in school sports so and this nonsense is is still happening and then there's a sort of story of surveillance right the tactics of surveillance today are much, much more sophisticated than guys going out and then going back to their typewriters and typing up reports, right? Um, so, like, you know, th this stuff is going on right now. So tell me, what what is your final project going to look like in the end when all your research is complete whenever that will be? The final project is, you know, slated right now to be a sort of 
multimedia installation. So in addition to the audio pieces that we recorded of the daily reports, there'll be other audio recordings for different historical documents that we have, and then more interpretive videos that will be in and around Newport and certain locations that tie into the story. We're a little unclear of like exactly the final form, but we're very also dedicated to premiering it in Newport. So the, the citing it in Newport is definitely in the works. Jason, I think I can speak for all the listeners that I can't wait to see what this project is going to look like, and especially as you continue to uncover different parts of this scandal. Thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Alexa, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks to Alexa Gagas for that interview. To learn more about the Scandalous Conduct Project, read her Q&A with Jason and his partner Matthew Lawrence in this week's Ocean State Innovators column. Here are some more stories to check out this week in Globe, Rhode Island. I have a story about how former House Speaker Nick Mattiello is just the latest former lawmaker to line up a lucrative statehouse lobbying gig, trying to exert influence over his former colleagues. Advocates are accusing the Catholic Diocese and Bishop Thomas Tobin of covering up child sex abuse after a Smithfield priest was placed on administrative leave last week. Brian Amaral reports that this isn't the first time the pastor of St. Philip Parish was accused of improper behavior with a minor. For these stories and more, go to globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. As we interview all the candidates for governor this year, we want your questions. What would you ask them? Email your ideas to rinews at globe.com. You might hear your question on the podcast. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall, Carlos Munoz, and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. See you next week. Looking to binge watch all your favorite PBS shows? You need Rhode Island PBS Passport, Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, Rhode Island PBS Weekly, and many more. Watch them all, anytime, and from any streaming device. Learn more about this member benefit at ripbs.org passport. That's ripbs.org passport.